For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, back in the day, Thursday night was must-see TV. This Thursday night, it's must-win football. We're talking about it on this edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. For Tuesday, October the 15th, 2019, the TreeCast is back and previewing Thursday night football between the 3-3 Sanford Cardinal and the 1-5 UCLA Bruins. Troy Clarity, glad that you are with us for this episode of the show. Took a little time off, but now we are back and we are rearing up and uh, gearing up for the uh, home stretch of the season. We're already halfway through the 2019 campaign. How about that? A lot to get to, as we always have on the TreeCast. Really always enjoy chatting with our special guest this week. He is the uh, defensive backs coach for Stanford, one of the very best in the business, a true veteran in this game, and one of the best uh, all-around college coaches in the game, Dwayne Aquina. Dwayne is going to drop by and we'll get his thoughts on on an up and down season for for the defensive backs for Stanford. Uh, We'll tell you a little bit more about what what he looks for in in a defensive back. And I'm going to give you a stat that I discovered that I was very interested to get his reaction to. So that's going to be all part of our conversation with Stanford defensive backs coach Dwayne Aquina coming up later on in the TreeCast. Can't wait to bring that to you. Follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity, at Troy Clarity. Last name is C L A R D Y. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, Google Play, or pretty much anywhere else that you find your uh, favorite podcast from. Certainly appreciate those of you who have uh, subscribed and even those of you who have rated and reviewed. Love the positive feedback. Uh, if you've got thoughts on what we can do to make this show better, I certainly welcome those thoughts as well. Let me know about it. But the point is, subscribe, rate, and review the show as uh, we all talk Stanford football, a subject that is very near and dear to our hearts. Took some time off last week. Did not uh, do a TreeCast late last week, partly because it was my birthday on Friday. Wanted to celebrate it, take advantage of the fact that Stanford was not playing on Saturday. Uh, The wife and I had a great day down in Santa Cruz on Saturday. It was kind of cool to to just unplug for a bit and to get a fresh and to get uh, ready uh, for what we are about to see for the second half of the season, starting off on Thursday. So it's been a while, but we are certainly back, and we have all the things you need to know about Stanford football right now. It's three things, and we start with number one. You know, I was walking up to uh, the campus, up to the uh, practice fields on uh, Monday evening, and I was hoping to get a more clear picture of Stanford's quarterbacking situation from Stanford head coach David Shaw, who addressed the media after Monday's practice was done, was hoping for a more clear picture. Instead, I got this. KJ's out okay. um, for UCLA. UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, Davis is somewhere between questionable and doubtful. Yeah. Um, 
uh, didn't practice them today. We have a walkthrough tomorrow, and then we'll uh, we'll see. We'll let them run around a little bit maybe on on Wednesday. Um, but um, Jack West is, is ready. He's taking all the reps this week, and um, he's ready to go if need be. Yeah, and my suspicion is that Jack West is going to need be. Now, a little bit more on Jack West. He's an academic sophomore out of Alabama, just outside of uh, Mobile. Highly regarded recruit. Chose the Cardinal over the Crimson Tide. Played against UC Davis and Oregon State last year. Uh, his career numbers are still one for five for four yards. Got sacked in his only passing play this year when he came on to replace Davis Mills in the fourth year against Washington. Otherwise, he just handed off to Cameron Scarlett and stepped aside. He's going to be counted on to do, I'm sure, much more than that this Thursday against the Bruins. Now, I've seen this out there, and some want to say that that David Shaw, given K.J. Costello's overall body of work, and uh, how Davis Mills has been able to grow as a quarterback this season. Some want to say that, the, that, that, that David Shaw has a quarterback controversy on his hands, but that simply ain't true. At least not until both Costello and Mills are healthy and ready to go. Until that point, there's no quarterback controversy. It's going to be the healthiest man taking snaps for the Cardinal at this point. By the way, one of the other schools that offered Jack West back in the day, UCLA. I found that intriguing. Now, as muddled as the Stanford quarterback situation is, to me, that wasn't the most dire injury nugget from Monday's practice. Which brings me to number... And I almost dropped my recorder when I heard David Shaw slide this bit of injury news in on Monday night. Curtis Robinson um, is is nursing a little bit from the last game, so he's, he's now in that questionable slash doubtful category also mm-hmm. um, as the inside as an inside linebacker oh you gotta be kidding me curtis robinson status is in doubt for thursday against ucla what a terrific game he played grown by leaps and bounds improved maybe arguably the most of any individual player uh from uh, oregon state to washington curtis robinson uh, we actually talked with him after the game uh, against washington uh, earlier this month he looked terrific so If he is unable to go, that means that Ryan Beecher is the only other inside linebacker on Stanford's depth chart. And he was banged up not too long ago. A lot of eyes are going to be focused on the quarterback situation and the injuries there, and rightfully so. But the more dire injury news to me was the fact that Curtis Robinson might be on the shelf for that one. You need inside linebackers uh, in order to win in today's college football. And with Curtis Robinson, who showed some sideline-to-sideline ability, I thought for the first time against the Huskies a couple weeks ago. If he can't go, and if it's just if it's just Ryan Beecher and Andrew Pritz running around out there, Pritz has had some good moments too, but Pritz and Beecher, not quite up to the same standard as Pritz and Robinson. That could be a critical, critical injury that could go against Stanford against the Bruins. All right, two things down. That brings us to thing number three. Stanford's beaten UCLA 11 straight times. 11 in a row. They've turned it up to 11 on the Bruins. you got to go back to October 18, 2008. Rick Neuheisel was UCLA's head coach then. And oh, by the way, UCLA has not won at Stanford since 2007. That just happened to be the head coaching debut for some guy named Jim Harbaugh. Remember that game? Stanford hasn't just beaten UCLA over the years. 
they've beaten them to a pulp. I mean, just, just grinding them into dirt. And Stanford wide receivers have had have had big days over UCLA, not just during during the streak, but really over the last 20 years. You go back, Troy Walters, 278 yards and three touchdowns against the Bruins in 1999. Still one of my favorite games in 27 years of following the Cardinal. Tao Johnson's one-handed catch in the end zone against the Bruins in 2001. That was a pretty cool game too. Cody Whitfield in 2013. Francis Owusu, the around-the-helmet grab in 2015. Stanford receivers have had some big, big moments in this series over the last couple of decades. We'll get more on this year's Bruins later, but 11 straight wins against UCLA? That's pretty cool. Wouldn't mind seeing that streak increase to 12 in a row. We don't do 12 things on this podcast. We do three things, and those are three things. I want to go back to David Shaw's press conference uh, last week. He has a weekly press conference. Didn't didn't necessarily have one this week because of the of the short and funny week. I'm not going to lie. I've been thrown off all week long because this game is on Thursday and and my and my weeks in the fall generally revolve around when Stanford football is. So, everything gets moved up a couple days and I'm completely thrown off. So, my apologies for uh, if I've come across uh, some of you and have have given some incorrect days this week. Not my fault. Blame Stanford football. But David Shaw had his weekly press conference last week. And I want to go back to something that that he brought up. I asked Coach Shaw for his biggest surprise this season. And he looked at me like I had two heads. I know that look. And he started his response like this. Is that a rhetorical question? Uh, Just the fact that I thought there was no way we'd have as many injuries this year as we had last year. Um... We'd never had those amount of injuries. We've made no drastic changes in the things that we do. Um, So figuring last year was an aberration. And uh, this year, and you you look at a bunch of things, say, is there some connection? And these injuries are completely different than last year's injuries, right? We've got a couple that are feet and a couple that are shoulder, a couple that are knee. And these are just football injuries that uh, we were able to avoid uh, for years that have, have really caught up to us. Um, that being said, um, I've said it before, I commend our, our coaches. I think we've recruited extremely well. Um, commend our guys for, for choosing this place and being here so we have the depth to handle a lot of these injuries. And um, to the point where you get upset when a guy goes down, but you also say, okay, his backup really has a lot of ability. You know, we're waiting, to, excited to see what he can do. So that's been the case more often than not the entire year for us, and even at the quarterback position. Um, when Davis went out and we would throw Jack West in there, and Jack West can do everything in this offense. And uh, if he has to go out and play against UCLA, hey, he'll go out there and play, and play well. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about it. So that's where I've been excited about um, the, the entire process of these injuries cropping up at different positions. I look and you know I'm the I'm Mr. Contingency Plan. I'm the one the guy that has to do it at every position, and look and say, okay, gosh, if this guy gets hurt, man, I know these two guys are ready. These guys are ready to step up, and they're already playing on special teams. They can step in and play on offense or defense. So um, I think we're we're we have enough depth to handle the things that that have that have happened. But to go back and answer your question again, that's that's been the biggest thing is is the 
the the injury bug has really gotten us. Yeah, it's been so tough. No secret, Stanford has really suffered on the injury front. It's been the overwhelming subplot for the Cardinal this year, and I feel like we've spent way too much time talking about injuries uh, on every single tree cast this season, but that's been part and parcel of what Stanford football has been about so far this season. Quarterback, inside linebacker, and the offensive line units hit particularly hard, and the hits just keep on kept on coming against the Huskies Earlier this month, Henry Haddis lost for the season against Washington. So now that means there are just six healthy offensive linemen available for the Cardinal. Six. Welcome to the starting lineup, new right guard Jay Cornerbrook. Six. And we still got half the season to go. No telling what can happen. The offensive line needs help. And they, I'm sure, have gone over contingency plans about who else might be thrust into some different roles. This is where I think a guy like Tucker Fisk can certainly help out. At that press conference last week, given how Tucker Fisk had performed very well, not just in the blocking department, but also who can forget that uh, 16-yard catch that he had uh, that went down to the Washington one-yard line that and he just bowled over a couple of, of would-be Husky defenders, leaving them in his wake along the way. Given that, I asked David Shaw what Tucker Fisk's role could be going forward. There's a reason why that sideline was, was pretty excited um, when he caught that ball and broke a couple tackles. Um, most of the team has seen his high school highlights. And that's all over his highlights. Uh, he's 270 pounds and an athlete. So when he catches the ball, um, he's just hard to bring down. Um, he's, a, he's an intense blocker. He's a, he's a physical football player. He's a very smart player. Knows how to play with leverage. Um, and, um, you know, he's just one of, those, one of those guys that has some versatility, um, but also one of those guys that has the toughness that you want. Uh, let you circle and uh, hope that more guys emulate. Versatility and toughness. Hmm. Now, Fisk is a tight end. I'm still somewhat shocked and amazed that he wasn't converted to defensive line when that was a real position of in, in need of bodies a couple years ago, but kept him on the offensive side of the field. But he's listed as a tight end, but it would not surprise me if Stanford started to move him around just a little bit, not just as a blocking tight end or given what we saw against Washington, maybe a bit more of a role in the catching department too, but also perhaps as a fullback, as a lead blocker. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Give the offensive line a little bit of help. And hopefully it never comes to this, but maybe you put him up front too. Maybe you probably need to switch his jersey. Uh, to a non, uh, non-eligible non number if it comes to that. But might need to move him around a little bit. And it would not surprise me at all to see Tucker Fisk with a larger and more versatile role going forward for the Cardinal. Just saying. Just saying. We're halfway through the season, and... It's a good time to, to hand out grades. I normally do that. I, I won't quite do that that this time around. If I was grading out the team, I would say that the wide receivers, uh, the outside linebackers, the defensive line, 
and the running backs, I would say those four position units would grade out to above average. Everything else, average at best. I mean, Stanford's three and three. Uh, for a team, if I'm issuing a Stanford uh, grade, I'm giving about a C, C plus. They're three and three. And their losses have, have been pretty damning. So they're, they're, I really can't go much higher than that. What about the secondary? How have they done so far this year? Well, I'm going to turn to a professional opinion on that. Longtime assistant coach for Texas, for Arizona, for Hawaii. And the last few years, he has really shaped the uh, Stanford secondary into one of the better units over the last few years, or at least one unit that, that you didn't have too many question marks about. This year, maybe not quite so much, but they certainly had a big-time bounce-pack performance against the Huskies, didn't they? One of my favorite assistant coaches to catch up with, Dwayne Aquina and I had a little chat after Monday's practice. Dwayne Aquina, our guest, on this week's edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clayton. All right, Coach Six, game's in. Six games to go. Your overall assessment on how things have gone so far overall for the squad to this point? Yeah, I, I think we've continued to get better. Um, you know, it's next man up across the board within our whole football team, offense, defense. I really like that we're getting a lot of young guys some opportunities. I see them getting better every week, and even some of our veterans are improving every week. So we've put a couple good solid performances together, and now we have a, another great opportunity against UCLA to continue to play well and grow. Yeah, let's go, let's go back to the Washington game. Certainly a, a terrific performance defensively and the secondary really put it all together at Lentz that, that perhaps we haven't really seen much of so far this year. Uh, your overall assessment of how things went against uh, the Huskies a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I thought we played really solid across the board. I thought our corners were really productive. You know, we we let one get away from us early in the game, um, but Paulson came back and, and really played well, made some critical plays, you know, at some really important times. Um, we got the ball out and on the ground. Now we just have to take the next step and finish some plays when some opportunities present itself, you know, to be able to make some great catches and the ball needs to bounce our way a little bit here. And uh, I think we're starting to get better. Overall, with the secondary, highs, lows, what sort of things stand out to you so far this year? Well, I think the highs is we're continuing to get better. Well, Malik um, really played solid. Kendall has, you know, the reps are catching up. It's nice to get um, a steward back in the fold. Mm -hmm. And I think Jonathan McGill has been doing a nice job for us at a young age. Caillou Kelly is really starting to develop. Um, I still think Paulson has done some outstanding things, but the standard for him is so high, you know, that he can continue to work on finishing plays. So I'm excited where we are. I think when you see where we started and where we are today, we're, we're getting better across the board as a defense. Uh, you know, secondary, I feel the same way about it. Went back and looked through, and if my math is correct, Stanford has only been assessed for two defensive pass interference penalties all year, and they both came in week one, so none since Northwestern. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, uh, you know, maybe we're playing with a little more discipline and we're drawing some great crews too, officiating crews, <laughs> that are letting us play. But I, I think we work hard on, on trying not to cheat the drills in one-on-ones and things like that and, uh, and playing with great discipline, great eye discipline. So 
That's encouraging. I, you know, I didn't, I don't follow it that closely, but I believe you. <laughs> Over the years, we've seen guys make conversions, corner to safety, and vice versa. What are some things that switch when you convert? When you when you when you switch and have to convert like that? Well, sometimes it's the depth chart. Um, you know that we have, we may be stacked in one position, so we're looking to see if somebody can work their way back inside. Sometimes it's um, it could be instincts, um, like John. Jonathan McGill could have played corner safety, but he got great instincts, so we moved him inside closer to the ball. Um, sometimes it's just that you got great one-on-one -on -one skills, so maybe I might move you outside um, to the corner position and put you on an island. So a lot of times it's just a little bit of a feel, but as a general rule, what I've always gone with is the better the better the player has a feel for the game, meaning if it's run, he's in. If it's pass, he's in. He's just got a great feel for quarterback's eyes. I like to get him closer to the football. So now, and also that makes him a middle safety. The more athletic they are as a starting point, we'll move them out to corner because they're playing on grass a lot more and they're in one-on-one. -on -one. they got to not only cover in one-on-one -on -one situations, but they got to get guys on the ground in more space too. So that's kind of a starting point with us. It, it seems like the evolution of the cornerback position has been to taller and longer. How have you seen the evolution of the cornerback position over the last 15 years or so? Yeah, I would say that's right. It's always been that way. And I think it's across the board, the bigger, the faster, the stronger you're always looking for. But, you know, I've never, I've never uh, um, said no to a, a young DB just because of height. Otherwise, they're my first Thorpe Award winner, Daryl Lewis, was all of five eight and three quarters, or Jonathan McGill, or Quandre Diggs, or Ronnie Harris. You know, so a lot of it is just what does the tape say? And uh, but we are always looking for bigger length and all of that. But I, I think if a guy doesn't have great length, he has to have something other specialty. You know, heart, great feel for the game. There's other things that you can't always measure on paper that I look for also. Football IQ, and then you know, there's a difference between short um, and little. You know, I mean, you still like Jonathan McGill plays big. You know, for for a five nine guy. So there's a lot of things that go into it, and. Um, but what's on tape is the biggest thing for me. You, we've mentioned McGill. We've mentioned Caillou Blue Kelly as well. A little more on those guys because they have really seemed to grow throughout the course of the year. What have you seen from Caillou and what have you seen from McGill overall? Yeah, I, I think they're both. The game hasn't been too big for them. Caillou has really developed fundamentally. He's playing with great prep. Uh, patience. He's got good top-end speed, but he's learning every day. You know, this is an intellectual man's game, and we do a lot. And uh, Caillou has really performed well, and and even the physical side of it. Sometimes that's what you're concerned about. You know, um, the size and the physical nature, and he hasn't stepped back on that at all. And Jonathan's the same way. And I think coming from high-profile high school programs has helped them also. You know, so they've been in big games. They play. They've competed at at a high level. And so I think, uh, you know, the whole seven-on-seven seven national thing helps these kids, and, and they've both been well-coached. I know uh, Jonathan's coaches uh, from Capel has done a nice job in developing him, and Caillou out of Bishop Gorman, and also, you know, his father has done a, a really an outstanding job with him. So they both came in with a great base, and, you know, I'm just trying to help them along. Is there an unsung guy in that uh, secondary room? Well, I, I think well, I'm, I'm really blessed. Now, this is a great room, you know. I, I, I think 
J.J. Parsons does a great job. He can play all six positions and learns them and can play them, and so is Noah. Stewart has really done a nice job. Kendall Williams has really performed well, too, as, as he's continuing to grow. Um, I think our freshman class, Zarin and, 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 and Salim and Nick Tomer, these are all names that you guys are going to get used to in the future because it's an outstanding, it's an outstanding room. Off topic for a brief moment or so, uh, a few months ago, lost Dick Tomey, of course the former uh, great uh, Arizona head coach. You go way back with him, 21 years uh, on the sideline with him. Uh, to this day, what, what do you still take away from your experience uh, with him and all the great, great battles you guys went into together? Yeah. Um, you know, Dick was just a classic. I mean, you know, he was a great X and O's coach. But what made Dick Tomey different than any other coach is that he just had a great gift of connecting with players, coaching them hard, yet loving them hard. Um, players and coaches that he was involved with, loyal, loyal to the bone. Now. And um, a lot of it is just because he really treated players with great respect. And... Uh, you know, we lost that little ball coach right there now. Yeah, yeah, and I consider myself lucky to have watched those Desert Swarm defenses yeah. with my own yeah, eyes. Yeah. Holy cow. And, and guys played so hard. Just a lot of blue-collar guys. And a lot of the coaches he had on his staff, like myself, just a young guy from Hawaii that he gave an opportunity to. And uh, players, you know, not highly recruited guys, but, you know, we just had a great chemistry at that time. Players and coaches and a unique thing. And that Desert Swarm, those are special years. Yeah. Those are special years. All right, let's wrap it up on this. The UCLA Bruins Thursday night football. Uh, UCLA struggling overall, but they still found a way to score 50 points in 19 minutes of game time at Washington yeah. State. You look at the Bruins, what sort of things uh, pop out at you? Well, they're very athletic. I, I, I think we can't fall for the trap of what the record is because this is a very capable offense. I don't study their defense, but it's a very capable offense with the their receiving core. Their quarterback has shown in spurts that he can be absolutely dynamic. And uh, I don't think the record says uh, much of who these guys are. They, they've got great skill, like you said, very explosive in that game. And so that's who they possibly could be. So you got to throw this record out the window and watch the tape in which we have done. So we're going in there with great respect. And, uh, you know, once again, in this conference now, every game, you know, because they all have capable quarterbacks and capable skills. So we still have to come out there and perform at a high level. Should be fun. Should be uh, interesting to watch yeah. and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing the uh, the entire defense and the whole team to continue to, to continue to trend upward. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Best of luck. You bet. Thank you very much. That's Dwayne Aquino. He's one of the best. And uh, I was, you know, I was going through some stuff last week and I was just curious to see how many defensive pass interference penalties have been called against Stanford all year. As it turns out, the answer is two. And both of them came in the very first week of the year. Now, there was a defensive pass interference called against Stanford at UCF, but it was declined because it was a touchdown. But still, only two defensive pass interference penalties assessed against the Cardinal all year. And we've talked about this uh, specifically after the Oregon State game, where I thought there were a couple of instances, you know, on balls high in the air, deep downfield, where many times you see the defensive back interfere with the receiver and, and get and get flagged for pass interference when he doesn't even need to make those sort of plays. So even though overall it's still been a roller coaster ride for Stanford and the defensive backs, for the most part, they've still shown outstanding discipline with the ball in the air. That's good technique. That's good coaching. You can expect those things when Dwayne Keen is helping to run the show. And certainly glad that uh, he could join us on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity.
Stanford has mentioned has beaten UCLA 11 straight times. That's still that's still amazing to think about. And of all the incredible things that Stanford has accomplished this decade, uh, the run that they've had, the Rose Bowls, uh, the win streak against Cal, uh, Heisman Trophy finalists, you know, I'm getting more and more upset the further I get away from it that Christian McCaffrey didn't get the vote in 2015. I'm more about it now than I was almost four years ago. But of all those incredible things, right up there is the fact that Stanford has beaten UCLA. UCLA! 11 straight times. Now, that said, that's in the past. This is now. After Monday's practice, David Shaw told us in the media about the challenges this year's Bruins pose and the similarities between the Cardinal and the Bruins heading into Thursday night. They've been kind of like us, you know, between injuries and a couple of bad bounces of the ball. Well, these guys are dangerous, got a big physical back that can make people miss, an athletic quarterback and a couple athletic receivers. So you know, now the athletic, big physical, athletic tight end is what they, they seem to always have. Um, you know, and, and Chip Chip knows us extremely well. Yeah. So um, that always that's always an X factor whenever we play against Chip Kelly. That's David Shaw. And, and yeah, he would know Shaw and Chip Kelly are as friendly as Chip seems like he'll be with, with any other coach. Very secretive and, and, and private guy when it comes to his personal life. A lot of the coaches didn't even know he was married when he was at Oregon. He didn't even bring it up. That's cool. You know, I get it. I'm not exactly an open book myself either, but you know, there's a lot of respect between the two. And as Shaw mentioned, more than a few similarities between the two teams. Now, as I say this, the Bruins don't know who their quarterback's going to be either. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who will be known as DTR for the rest of the show, hurt his leg against Arizona a couple of weeks ago and did not play uh, in the Bruins' loss to Oregon State. Now, unlike Stanford's injured quarterbacks, DTR actually has participated in warm-ups and drills of late, so perhaps that means something. If it doesn't, then that means Austin Burton will run the show offensively for UCLA. Burton threw for 236 yards and a touchdown in the loss to the Beavers at the Rose Bowl. Now, one guy to watch, whether DTR is out there or not, one guy for the Bruins that you need to drop everything and watch whenever he's on the field, and certainly whenever he has the ball, Demetric Felton. Number 10, listed as a running back, but lethal not just at that position, but also as a wide receiver. He's already got four touchdowns this year of 75 yards or more. Four of them. That man is as big play a threat as I've seen in a while, maybe since McCaffrey, in the Pac-12. Demetric Felton, watch out for him. UCLA is dead last in Pac-12 in scoring defense, total defense, and pass defense. I personally don't place a lot of weight in those statistics, but a lot of people do. So I'm just throwing it out there for you. But above all, they're really young. They're really young. A lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores in key positions. Kind of like Stanford. So both of these teams, even though Stanford has found ways to win, to win more ball games this year 
than UCLA has, even though UCLA arguably has the most me- – no, not arguably about it. They do have the most memorable win between the two teams. I still can't believe I saw what they did against Washington State. That 67-63 comeback win that just defied all comprehension and sent the Cougs into a bit of a tailspin from which they have not recovered. Not to this point, anyway. Now, whomever Stanford's quarterback is, the keys, I think, remain the same against the Bruins as they did against the Huskies. Whoever the quarterback is, you better make big throws. You better make big throws. Stanford offensively needs to move the chains. Need to win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Got to tackle. Got to tackle. Number 10's got the ball. Get him down. Get him down. And stay healthy. Stay healthy. For the love of all things holy, no more guys getting hurt for Stanford. They almost literally cannot afford any other injuries. David Shaw was, you know, you heard his response earlier about, you know, he feels you know, that, that he's got the depth, fortunate that he has the depth to tackle the injuries that he has now. Okay, that's great and all, but he doesn't have much depth to tackle any other injuries. Certainly not the offensive line. Certainly not at quarterback. And certainly not an inside linebacker. Got to stay healthy. Got to stay healthy. Different team, but the same keys. Our final portion of the tree cast brings us to this. They said it, kind of our quote of the week. Gabe Reed, outside linebacker, he had a big big day against the Washington Huskies. I asked Gabe when he knew that the Cardinal might have had the Huskies right where they wanted them. I said pregame. I think going in, uh, something that Coach Alomar, our special teams coach, was sharing with us is just, you know, the world says that that we're not gonna we're not gonna win, and um, if we win, it's gonna be an upset. But we know in this room, it's, it's not an upset uh, because we believe we're gonna win going in. And and the Pac-12 has a bunch of talented teams, but uh, we really believe that uh, we can hang with all of them and and beat them all. So Gabe Reed pretty much knew from jump, and three and a half hours later, he was proven right. Big win for Stanford. Big way to end the first half of the season, but there's only one way to begin the second half of the season for Stanford, and that's with the win over UCLA. This is a must-win for the Cardinal. Can't fall to 3-4, and four, especially uh, against a team that seems to be, that has its own problems in UCLA. Can't do it. Just cannot lose to the UCLA Bruins. Is it possible? Sure it is. I can't rule out that possibility. Must-win for the Cardinal. As we talked about after the Washington win, there is still a path for Stanford to do many of the things that it set out to do at the beginning of the year. But a loss to UCLA, even though it's not a division loss, a loss to UCLA puts Stanford even further and further and further and further away from those goals. Can't afford that. It's a must win. It's a must win for both squads. Stanford and UCLA, a 6 p.m. kick. Inside the Eucalyptus Curtain, watch it on ESPN. Listen on the Cardinal Sports Network with my guys Scott Reese, Todd Huzak, and John Platts. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. If you've got thoughts on the program or on Stanford football as a whole, 
I certainly welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. And give me a follow on Twitter, on Twitter as well, at Troy Clarity. At Troy Clarity. Last name is C-L-A-R-D-Y. And we will catch up with you next time. Of course, we will be in the Stanford locker room on Thursday night, bringing you the latest and greatest and the interviews and all the instant analysis that you could possibly want and more after Stanford UCLA is done. And we will come at you on Friday and break it all down between the Bruins and the Cardinal. Can't wait for that. In the meantime, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you later this week on the TreeCast with Troy Clare. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.